I also had my family who kind of, you know, we also made it a you know family trip uh, to kind of just. This go is such a, this is such an Indian thing. Like the whole family <laughs> goes really along comes. to university yes. with. Yeah. And we're back. ChargerCast. It's been more than a year, yet here we are. Really happy to be with you. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, with me, special guest, Dhruval Songvi, uh, CEO of Info. Now, I got it wrong. It's Logenex. I keep thinking Infosys, which I hope is a flattering thing for you. Uh, CEO of Logenex. Uh, really appreciate having you here today. Thank you for joining us. Really have two goals for our conversation today. One, I want to talk a little bit about your business and your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, the logistics business, maybe on the surface, doesn't sound like the most exciting thing in the world, but we were chatting a little bit before the show started, and there's some kind of interesting things going on with the technology behind it. I also want to talk a little bit about your academic journey. You went to Carnegie Mellon University in the United States, along with some of your family, and I want to hear a little bit more about what that experience was like for you. So if that's all right with you, let's go ahead and get Absolutely. Cool. Thank you, first of all, thank you so much for having me. You know, it's, it's always a pleasure to be in the consulate again after you know many many years it reminds me of the visa days right um, uh, and I remember you know going to the old embassy as well the, you know which was you know back in the southern part of Mumbai uh, even a few years before I came here for my student visa but really appreciate the you know the interest in the time uh, in talking to me uh, you know overall you know it's been you know it's been a great ride over the last you know 11 years since I first moved to US I remember um, uh, you know 2009 is when I had applied. Uh, for Carnegie Mellon and a few other universities as well. I was not honestly, you know, uh, totally alien to the concept because my sister um, also went to Carnegie Mellon in 2005 and I had seen her journey in terms of how she applied, you know, what is the experience like, you know, and what kind of courses you pick there, what's the uh, post-graduation experience, you know, how do you get a job, how do you get exposed to things, how do you, you know, you know start things on your own and stuff like that. So I was, I was privileged to have that information. Uh, and I think by, you know, by 2009, I also remember, um, uh, you know, uh, having a lot of information at hand available, right? There's so much online information available. There's a community of so many people who have, you know, gone to U.S. on a similar tra trajectory and then have been very, very successful at what they do. Um, so it was not as much, you know, uh, uh, n you know, I was not as much nervous as, you know, usually most people would be. Uh, but yeah, it's been a it's been a great journey after that as well. I've been very successful in building Logenex after uh, my graduation, and I also kind of you know worked uh, at Deloitte for about three years in Chicago and New York. So, so let's let's go back for a second though. So you talked about you went to Carnegie Mellon. Your sister went to Carnegie Mellon. Uh, very 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 good school uh, in Pittsburgh in the in the nor in New England in the northeastern part of the United States. You said you applied to in some, Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, yes, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, <laughs> the great the Keystone State, Pennsylvania. Um, but not a guarantee to get in. I mean, again, it's pretty elite school. Uh, where else did you apply? Yes, no, I remember in 2000, when I was applying, um, you know, I had, you know, of course, we do the GRE score, and I had a you know, decent GRE score, not the best one. Um, and I had, uh, you know, one thing I was very clear on is that I wanted to go to best universities because one thing that my sister told me and also what I researched online is that whatever I want to do in U.S., I want to, you know, do from the best of the schools, right? So my target was, like, the top 10 universities. So I had applied to, you know, Stanford, uh, Carnegie Mellon, Georgia Tech, um, Cornell, NYU, um, and few others. So these are the five I remember. I had an admit from Cornell, um, from Georgia Tech, uh, from CMU. I got rejected from Stanford. 
which was definitely you know a, 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 you know turned down from me. But you know uh, that would have been a very different life. You know I, I truly respect that university. But uh, but you know and then I had like different programs also. I think information systems management is something which is not really the most common thing that you do. So this is what you were interested in, and you knew right away you wanted to do something in information systems. I knew I wanted to do something with data. Um, somehow, you know, and, and not that I was the expert of technology, but during my undergrad here in India, uh, I was, you know, I had that, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, some sort of a gut feeling there that, that first of all, it's very exciting, and second is it has a lot of opportunities because there's so much technology already, you know, has been built, but so little is commercially available. Um, so that was kind of my flavor that, you know, if I can do something with data and I can also learn more about business, which is what a good combination information management you know, programs offer. And the Carnegie Mellon one was the best one because that they had most flexibility in terms of what you can pick and choose uh, versus the other one. Okay, so you get into Carnegie Mellon, which again, phenomenal. Uh, you gotta get a visa. Do you remember applying for a visa? And was it at our Breach Candy uh, facility, or was or were we up here by then? No, at that time it was at the Breach Candy one. Okay, so you're down in Breach Candy at the old at the old consulate, which we still yeah. use, by the way. But you're down there. Uh, talk me through that experience. Yeah, so that was my first time I was ever going to U.S. I had I had gone to Europe uh, with my family back in 2006, like four years before you know uh, I, I got the admit at CMU. So it was the first time experience for the U.S. visa, and there's you know, somehow there was there's a uh, there's a stigma around you know getting a U.S. visa. So you know whenever you pass by that Breach Candy facility in the morning, you know, there's always like you know people lining up. Even if they have a slot at like 10 a.m., they would be there from say you know since from say 7 a.m. So and, and, and so they're still across the street here, by the way, and B and BKC. <laughs> exactly. Every day you can see people. Uh, yeah, which is which is very surprising. So and also I had this you know visa agent right who would kind of advise you on how you know what kind of documentation to prepare. Uh, making sure that you look good, you know, you are talking the right things uh, and all of it, right? And, and that kind of creates a huge, some sort of a pressure on you that you are doing for something, you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, get something large. But when you get there, you realize that it's a very comfortable environment, right? The moment I got in, and I was also, I, I think I also got in like an hour early, not three hours, but an hour early from my appointment. Uh, and I was nervous, honestly, because there was so much told to me that, you know, hey, it's going to be, like a big thing, you know, you have to get the visa, you have, you know, come a long way in your life, you have the great opportunity, uh, you want to make sure that you get the visa. But when you go in, you know, you just have to be yourself, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> but nobody tells you to be yourself, everybody tells you to prepare a lot. Somehow I, I went there, I was just so comfortable looking at other people, even the visa officer makes you feel comfortable by, you know, asking usual questions about yourself, right? It's not nothing, there's no rocket science, there's no pressure situation. You go there, you answer, you know, whatever it is, and you know, you 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 know, in, in, a, in a few minutes of time, or how much of it, I don't remember how much time it took, but you know, you you get the visa approval. They tell you right away that you get the visa, and your passport will come back in like two days or something. And I was like, yeah, that was super easy. <laughs> so much to do about nothing. Absolutely, and that's and after that point, I've been advising every single person who goes for visa because that's like a whole trend of people who get the visa. They are the ones who can, you know. Other people would kind of go and just kind of call them in their network to check, hey, you know, how to prepare. And my usual first advice is that, you know, do not prepare too much, right? right you know, be yourself is the key. The more, <laughs> the more you prepare yourself, the more are the chances you're going to end up saying something which, which is not you. And you don't want to really, you know, uh, look like trying to be somebody else. Yeah. Which is the fundamental of that interview. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? You're going to get yourself in trouble by preparing too much. 
Um, and it's true, we are friendly people. Uh, we're not out to get anyone. Yeah. And we love students. We love it when people go to the United States to study. And um, you know, we want to work with people. So I, you're absolutely right. Don't be nervous. So you get your visa. Uh, it's in your passport. You're on a plane. You're on your way to Pittsburgh uh, in Pennsylvania. It's for the first time you've been in the United States. So you step off the plane. Like, what are you thinking? Besides, I'm tired. Uh, so that was one. So, so I had. Uh, I also had my family who kind of. You know, we also made it a you know family trip. Uh, to kind of just go this is such travel. a this is such an Indian thing. Like the whole family <laughs> goes really along comes. to university yes. with you. So, so for me, I remember when my sister was going. My parents were really nervous in two thousand five, uh, and I was I had I had memories of you know all that too much of preparation. Right, first you like you have ton tons of baggage. Like you know you have too much of luggage that you're carrying, and every single small thing as if like you're going to a you know maybe fifth world country where nothing is available, and you want to make sure that everything is you know with you. You land there and you realize the first thing is that you know you can go and have a coffee at a Dunkin. I remember you know first thing I did after landing was at Newark Airport there's a Dunkin right you know right when you go outside the gate uh, not the gate but outside the entrance of the or exit of the uh, airport. We went there you know we had a coffee. My family was there because um, we had a trip to Alaska. So we actually did like a 30-day trip, and I remember on F1 visa you could only enter 30 days before your orientation. Right. So I literally entered on 29th day because you want to maximize that time to travel and have fun before I go to school. Um, so we, we landed at Newark Airport. I had a cruise planned the next day uh, from, uh, uh, from Vancouver. And I was going to re-enter US on the very second day on my F1. So I had to go that, I had to get uh, my, uh, I forgot the name of the card. I had to get that signed by my university. So my first the I twenty. I twenty. Thank you so much. Very yeah. important document, which I now now I don't remember, but it was it was the At key the document. Time, that, 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 that was the biggest. Yeah. So I, I went to Pittsburgh. Uh, I had my connecting flight from Newark to Pittsburgh. Went there, met my uh, you know uh, the first person uh, in the admissions department. They were very friendly. They asked me you know why am I leaving the U.S. immediately after I am entering it. Uh, I told them I'm here for you know just going with my family on an Alaskan cruise. Um, did that, they signed my I-20, went back to Newark, had my next day flight to Vancouver, uh, took the cruise, entered Alaska, traveled across the Alaska and came back to New York. So that was my first 15 days um, as such. Uh, and then I went, I remember on 5th of August 2010 is when I uh, formally went to Pittsburgh again for my school. Okay, so you get to Carnegie, did you stay in the dorms? No, so there's no dorms for uh, grad, grad students. It was only for undergrad oh, right. at Carnegie Mellon. So, I had a lot of preparation done because there are a lot of you know Facebook and Orkut at that time you know forums available where you can kind of you know all the uh, you know uh, non-US students you know any any other you know I think uh, you know immigrant students can uh, talk and figure out you know who you know where to stay and how much it will be. So I already had my even roommate decided. I had my lease signed online even before landing into US. I actually I remember. Uh, looking at Google Maps Street View to figure out that how to go from airport to my home. So I knew there's this bus called 28X, which takes me from Pittsburgh Airport to CNU campus, yeah. and there's like a five-minute walk that I had to take to my apartment. I reached there, and I, I knew about you know, all those routes because I had seen those streets on Street View on Google Maps, so I could relate to every single thing that I was actually doing on, on that first day. Uh, reached my apartment, called my, I remember they called my landlord from there, um, all I had was like just one phone with international roaming on to make that very first call to my landlord so that I can you know get into my apartment and you know put my luggage there. 
Uh, and yeah, you know, I called him. He was available. Uh, I remember his name was, was Mario. I called Mario. He was there. Gave, handed over my keys, and I was in my apartment. And it was an empty apartment, no furniture, but that was my first uh, formal home uh, in the U.S. So you went to Carnegie Mellon for grad school, so you did your undergraduate here in India. Um, describe walking into a classroom for the first time and sort of the academic experience at Carnegie Mellon at a U.S. university versus the style here in India. Well, and this is the biggest. I think this is very, very important topic to discuss, right? Because um, this is where I saw the biggest amount of difference, right? The moment you go to, you know, uh, the first day at uni U.S. universities is so structured. And I remember before the class also, there was this whole five-day orientation where they tell you every single thing that you're going to require once you start your classes, or even before you start your classes, your how to open a bank account, how to get a you know phone, how, what to watch out for, right? You know what what activities not to engage into, uh, what how to sign up for courses, uh, how to get your email addresses, right? How to contact IT if you are not able to connect to Wi-Fi, right? Every single thing was so well thought through. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as long as you if you attend those five days carefully you are pretty much sorted because there's no other question you would ever have. And they would give you all this material, printed and digital, to make sure that you can keep referring to it. So you never felt stranded or on your own or unsupported? Literally nothing at all. And that's what my first realization was, that there's so much preparation Indian students do before leaving India uh, to enter US, thinking you know it's going to be an alien world. But there's so much support available. And it's not, you don't even have to ask for it because this is very usual for universities, right? It's it's they take it they take this job very very seriously. They have been doing it for decades, not even years. So they are very seasoned at knowing what you go through. They know probably ten times more on what you're going to go through than what you know yourself. And they want to give you all the support from day one. So never felt stranded, never felt um, unsupported. Uh, the staff on the university was so friendly, right? They would have sessions. They would also check on every individual student, you know, periodically every week. They had like first four weeks of touch points as well. You can have a 30-minute, you know, uh, meeting time set up if you have any other questions that you want to just ask privately also. So, so much was kind of planned. And then the first class day comes, right? When you go there and you realize that the you know, education system is very different. First of all, it's very informal. Mm. So you go there and, you know, you can... Um, uh, you know, you can sit wherever you want. It's very. It's is, that, very is that a thing here? Is there assigned seats for? In, in schools in India, yes, there are assigned. Even till like K twelve, like till you know, before you go to college, yeah. there are things like that. Um, and you still like you know, you feel there's so much of that disciplined era that you've lived into, where you feel like you know, you feel like freedom. <laughs> you feel like you can really do whatever you want to, yeah. right? Uh, you go there. The first professor comes in. And they they talk to you like your friends, you know. They they and, and then the classroom size is very small. It's not literally like 50 or 100 people like in India. I've seen usual class strength is like 50, 60 minimum in any university. Um, all my classes at CMU were like 25, 30. So professors can kind of you know attend to you in a much more detailed manner. Uh, all professors' profiles were available online on the intranet. So we could do research on who they are, what they have done in the past, right? So I was also very well read about, you know, who that person is. Of um, course you were. You're like the most prepared person ever, though. <laughs> and this happens to every, trust me, every single student and all of my Indian friends who were there, all of them were equally prepared. Some of them were even more prepared than how I am. So yeah. This is like 10 years. <laughs> yeah, sure. And just think in, you know, 10 years, uh, what's available now. Anyway, sorry, please. Okay, so the professors are approachable. Um, the classroom's informal. Um, the lecture format, is that different? 
the lecture format is uh, is primarily different because it's very conversational. Mm. It's not very textual. I think it's more anecdotal. It's more um, uh, it's more based on real world examples. Like I remember my first class was telecommunications, and I had telecommunications back you know uh, as a, as a course in India as well in my undergrad. But that was to, taught more from a theoretical perspective, like you know, hey, let's let's open chapter number one. You know, this is how cables work, right? That's the first topic. And I remember the first class at CMU, uh, the conversation, the first conversation in the telecommunication topic or course was, uh, you know, what is the internet speed in U.S. Okay. versus other countries? So it's something you can relate to. Because everybody knows what the you know everybody knows speed test and things like that, and then they kind of take you down from there on why it is 15 megabits in U.S. versus 100 in Japan versus two in India, and what kind of you know technology goes behind it, and what U.S. has done differently versus Japan has done differently versus India has done differently, and then they tell you the technological protocols on what are the protocols behind it, which is like the real core stuff that they want to teach you, but they grab your attention with that. Even in our, I remember the second course was uh, finance and accounting. Uh, they don't start with the balance sheet. They started with uh, this, you know, uh, how did, uh, you know, what happened to Andron in 2001. So the first story that the professor taught in the very first class on first day at CMU was what happened to Andron. What is Andron? Uh, and you know, there was a big corporation in U.S. which, you know, which had, which were cooking their books and got caught on one fine day. Stock prices crashed and, you know, millions of people, you know, really lost their money. And why, how they were doing it? And what was the law that came after that? And what they really did in the balance sheet to really make that scam happen? So that kind of adds so much of a real world flavor to what they teach. And then they kind of take you back to the basic concepts was very, very important to me. Yeah, it's like the, the case study approach almost, case right? Approach. And, and looking at the, the why before you get to the how. Um, which I think you're right, not only is it more interesting, um, you know, it captures your attention and it gives you sort of a foundation for why do I have to care about what the TCP protocol is versus <laughs> HTTP and all the rest of it, right? You're like, exactly. oh, I get it. It's because of this, this, and this, and it affects how fast I can watch a video on my phone. Exactly. So you're at Carnegie Mellon, um, you're settling in, you're in your courses and stuff. Uh, what's day-to-day -day life? Like, are you able to, I mean, this is kind of silly, but are you able to find the food that you want? Um, are you experiencing any racism or hostility? Um, what, what's what's day-to-day? -day? Are you comfortable? What's going on? So I think the the first few days is you know, feels a little um, uh, different because you're in a different you know culture. You have new friends. Uh, you don't have familiar faces all around you all the time, and and not just you know American faces. You have faces from the whole world. You know there are literally I remember there were students from 20 countries in just my single class, my single batch in in, you know, in, in CMU. So you, you you know you you first and a lot of times you even encounter some of the races which, which you have never met in the past, right? So even you don't know how to react to them. Yeah. Um, not just that they don't know how to react to you. Uh, and it turns out that the locals are the most comfortable one because they have always seen it. So we have seen, I, I think, what I observe from, from, from a diversity perspective is that diversity is, you know, is formally, uh, you know, um, uh, taught also in the class, in the, um, orientation, right? So all these things like, you know, there are students from 20 countries is known to me. Uh, uh, and I can I can talk to anyone and everybody kind of talks the same language, but are very similar people. So that kind of makes you feel comfortable over a few days. So first few days feels a little, a little kind of out of place, but then you've you know, become very comfortable. 
never even one day in my entire experience in US uh, have I felt even a bit of racism, right? Mm -hmm. Primarily because um, I think a lot of these racism talks are more media driven is what I now feel. Uh, but on your, usually if you're in a good university and you're in a good neighborhood, um, I just, you know, and, and not, not just me, none of my even friends have experienced you know, outright racism as such, or any disrespectful behavior also, which you can remotely connect to racism. Uh, in fact, there's much more respect for diversity. I think America, like US is a country which has, uh, which has adopted the highest number of external, you know, immigrants and races than any other country in the world. And I think they are the most comfortable with that mm -hmm. versus uh, being, you know, behaving oddly with anyone. So that was my first thing. And second one, daily life is very usual. Food definitely is a problem in the first few days because you get used to the, uh, you know, non-Indian food because you always had Indian food all your life. Uh, so, you know, you, you start liking sandwiches. Right? You, know, you, you start liking, you know, um, uh, the, the usual, you know, there are, the sandwich in India usually is like considered unhealthy because a lot of cheese and bread in it. But when you go there, you realize there's a lot of healthy sandwich options also, <laughs> which, you, which nobody probably would have seen. Then you start getting exposed to Oriental food, right? Uh, and you start liking it. Right? Usually Indian Chinese is very different than Chinese Chinese food. Yeah. Uh, so you get exposed to that. So food was you know, a good experience. I think it's, it's a pretty creative and interesting experience to go through. And, uh, and you start making friends, which is the most important thing. I think uh, over the first 30 days, I've made some of the best relationships of my life, which are still intact today and they have been so helpful in my personal and professional life uh, and during CMU times also. So that was the third thing that I... So let's, let, that's a great way to segue now into sort of your professional journey and your entrepreneurial journey. I understand you met your business partner at Carnegie Mellon. Um, I did. How did... What, I mean, did you, you didn't just bump, bump into each other one day. Like, how did that work? So, so the story goes like... Uh, so her name is Manisha and she was... Uh, she had joined uh, in the summer batch and I was in the fall batch. Um, so I had, I had joined CMU like about eight months before she did. Uh, but in her second semester, which was my third semester, we had a common case study challenge which was sponsored by Deloitte, which eventually became my employer. Um, I, but they had come to campus to offer this you know, case study challenge to, you know, help, uh, to, to help them identify the best talent and at the same time get students exposed to real world cases. So this is the, the consulting firm comes and says, okay, we have this problem set from this company. How would you How solve, would you solve it? it? Okay. Basically like a 24 hour you know, uh, case study that they offer you where they come, you know, some of their leaders and partners, they come to the university. They take a session for anybody who is interested in participating. They explain you for one hour on what a real world challenge they are facing with one of the customers, anonymous. Uh, and then they give you 24 hours to solve it uh, without any other help whatsoever. You are just free to do whatever you think is the right thing. And then there are presentations after the 24 hours to, towards them, um, and then they pick the best ones. And our team came first in that session. And, and, and uh, coincidentally, it was me and her and two other students, but we were in the same team. So we worked together, uh, and that's when we, be we started becoming friends, because that was the first time we kind of randomly ended up working towards something we both were interested in. And we enjoyed working together at that time. And then we became friends, stayed in touch. Um, and you know, fast forward, you know, after graduation 2014, uh, like two years or three years after graduation, uh, we were friends and we, we had continued to be in touch. But in 2014, we, you know, we kind of you know, both thought that, you know, hey, both of us are solving this uh, you know, problems for real world customers for our employers. Uh, she used to work for IBM, I used to work for Deloitte. 
uh, and both of us had this you know uh, similar kind of customer challenges which was about around data analytics around helping retailers launching e-commerce launching deliveries so that's how we kind of you know got to know how this whole e-commerce world works what is really amazon doing back in 2014 um, and you know what are the real challenges non-amazon companies face like the retailers like sears target walmart's of the world right large companies and how if, if these large companies are like large consulting firms are helping them with the tech can we really build a platform which can help them so that's interesting so Look, no, I don't think anyone grows up saying I want to be in the logistics business, but you recognized an opportunity as a, as a consultant. You were working for one of the big five consulting companies, and you were like, well, let's eliminate the middleman here and go into business for ourselves. Um, but how do you then move? Like, that's great. But everyone has, like, their thing, right? Like, oh, man, one day I'm going to, you know, I'm going to launch my own podcast or something, right? But you, but you did it. What is that sort of mental hurdle between I've got a pretty good gig as a consultant to I'm going to go out on my own and be an entrepreneur with my friend Manisha and you know I hope it works out. So I think the biggest so the foundation to this whole entrepreneurial feeling uh, was you know was seeded at CMU because not just this Deloitte case challenge but there were multiple other challenges as well uh, which were just usual competitions that you participate in. There were courses around entrepreneurship uh, that you formally learn on how to start a company. What a startup even means you know, what it takes to really build a company. So there were courses around it. I remember taking entrepreneurship as a, as a course in CMU. There was another competition called Keith Block competition, which was about pitching startup ideas. So a lot of these you know, competitions make you aware on what you can do with your career. What are the are additional things beyond just being a researcher or a great developer or even a great you know, financial analyst, but there are be things beyond it also you could do, which are more riskier in nature. Uh, financially speaking, but does, you know you could do that. So I had some flavor of that, and then of course I I, I took up this job, uh, and eventually you know uh, the job teaches you how to analyze a you know business plan, how to really identify a business opportunity, how to sell to a customer, right? What do a, what does a large company wants to hear from you? What are the complexities they go through, and all that combined, at some point makes you feel okay. You know I have enough knowledge to take the plunge. Then comes the feeling part of it, which is the risk-taking ability, which is something just cannot nobody can teach you. It just has to come from within. Um, fortunately, you know, in, in those two to three years, I had uh, paid off, you know, all the investment I had made uh, into the fees of my, you know, education in the U.S. And you know, for most Indians, it's uh, you know, it's an it's a it's a financial investment that they make sure. to get the return. So I had paid that off over two to three years of my job. So I was financially independent for the first time in my life. I had enough knowledge about, you know, uh, about logistics, how to pitch to customers, how to start a company, theoretically, plus real-world experiences a little bit here and there. And then, of course, you know, um, my family is very entrepreneurial. Her family is also very entrepreneurial, so we got family support as well. And one fine day, you know, just kind of take a plunge that, you know, is this the right time for me to, you know, jump into it? And then you start thinking about how much money I will be required to invest into my business. That's when a lot of U.S.-India cross-border help comes out to be. So I remember uh, our entrepreneurship professor, Mark DeSantis, he advised us on how to start a company in 2014. So we went back to see any professor at that time and asked him that, hey, this is our idea. Do you think we should plunge, take a plunge? At that time, he really advised us. And he's still, till date, he advises us. Really? Uh, yes, he's still in touch. And he's you know, one of our number one advisors right now as we speak. I was on call with him literally yesterday evening. Um, 
and uh, and and uh, uh, you know he he suggested one what what are the things that you are not thinking through. Uh, he also connected us some of, to some of the investors, uh, which we never thought that our professor would connect us to some investors. So we did some investment pitches, and that's how we realized that oh wow, you American investors are very much interested in doing something which is cross border because it gives you low cost talent which is equally equal quality in India and you can still sell to business in the US. So you can make a lot of money and you can arbitrate your cost at a lower cost in India. So you can run a cross-border investment and uh, cross-border company and they would love to invest in that company. So that's how we got our first investors also on board and uh, you know, that's how it kind of worked out. No, I love this thing though where the your professor from your graduate school ends up being an advisor for your, your business um, and it just goes to show like, you know, when you go to university or even beyond, you never know who these people are, you know, what people are going like, to come back and, and be part of your network or, or help you or launch you on a different path. Um, but it's still, it's pretty cool. There's some pretty neat symmetry there. And even not just professors, but and I don't know how much you know, time we have left, but, but um, even our, our career services, right? So I remember, uh, you, know, you know, of course, getting my resume reviewed by the career services you know, department um, at the university. And then fast forward 2019, we made our first hire in US from CMU. Really? And now we are one of the, you know, uh, one of the companies which goes to the tech fairs it at, on campus to hire people. And it, it just makes, it, it and, and all the people that who helped me review my resume, they are the same people who, has, who are there who are helping us hire other people from the same campus. Yeah. And it all kind of you know, comes back together. So all those relationships that we built 10 years ago, they have been constantly been helpful at every single stage in our journey, be it our job or be it our business or you know, be it a move from US to India, fundraising, selling, hiring. So that 18 months spent at Carnegie Mellon has been so, so valuable. Um, and of course, you know, beyond that, I've, built, you know, I've made a lot of good friends. Some of them have moved to Mumbai now to start their own companies. Um, you know, there, there are a couple of friends I have who worked for Google for a few years, two years ago moved back from you know from Mumbai from US to Mumbai, and they recently raised money from Y Combinator, which is the number one startup you know investor in, from US, and I'm one of the investors in their company now. Cool. Um, you know, and then, so there's so much network that kind of you know expands and compounds over time, that is just unmatchable. So tell me a little bit more about Logenex, but you're, the company that you're running now, which by all accounts is enormously successful. I thought I saw the word unicorn around it, um, which would be pretty cool. Um, but explain it to me like I'm a, I'm a 10 year old. Like what is Logenext? Uh, so in, simply, in simple words, we help any company which wants to grow, go from a brick and mortar business to an e-commerce business. That means if you have any neighborhood retailer uh, where, where you used to go to buy stuff, uh, if they want to start doing deliveries so that the stuff can come to you and you can go online and place orders, we provide the back-end platform and technology to help them do it. Okay. Uh, so most of these retailers, like let's say, you know, in India, we have this you know, big e-commerce, big retail chain called DMART, right? Mm -hmm. That's which is a grocery chain. Uh, they have recently launched their e-commerce portal so that they can also you know, allow customers to come online, which is called DMART Ready, and they can place orders and you know, they can get the deliveries done. So all that end-to-end -end back-end technology for DMART is offered by Logenext. Similarly, we work with customers like Target, True Value, uh, you know, Walmarts of the world in US. Uh, similar problem. They also have a huge store chain, but they have been largely brick and mortar. So if they want to start doing deliveries, 
to the end customers. You know, how do they capture orders? How do they track the driver? How do they inform the customer on when the shipment is going to arrive? So that SMS that you get when you order something, that your shipment is going to come you know, today at 4 p.m., that SMS comes from Logilex. Is Swiggy one of your clients? Uh, Swiggy is not one of our customers, but it's very similar to what we Well, do. I figure, because they're always wrong on delivery time. Swiggy, if you're listening, <laughs> Logilex, maybe we'll get some more accurate delivery times. Um, look, I've taken up a lot of your time. I, I really do appreciate you joining us today. Uh, Druval Songvi, um, Carnegie Mellon alumni, uh, very successful tech entrepreneur. Very cool to have you, and we're so happy that you are our first guest in season two of ChargeCast. Very, very happy to be here. Thank you so much for a very exciting question. It was a great conversation with you. Thank you so much.